This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of July 13, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 234 of Defender Radio. The mere mention of the great white shark can give thrills and tremors to beachgoers, divers, and surfers. When the news media picks up a story of a shark attack, we're all subconsciously playing this moment over and over in our minds. You're going to need a bigger boat. But despite the seeming increase in the number of shark attacks, historical data shows that statistically, you're still more likely to be hit by a bolt of lightning than become a snack for these ancient predators. At the forefront of the discussion on shark attacks are the scientists who study the figures, the animals, and our reaction to them. One such researcher is Dr. Francesco Ferretti of Stanford, who along with a team in Monterey, California, are bringing greater understanding of shark attacks and the need for conservation, education, and reasonable public policy. Dr. Ferretti joined Defender Radio last week to talk sharks and whether or not it's safe to go back in the water. So, so the news coming out right now regarding sharks, on one hand, is that there are seemingly more shark attacks, or at the very least those of us uh, watching the news and, and who are constantly waiting for the day that we get eaten by a shark, even though we never go in the water, are seeing more shark attacks. But on the other hand, you and your colleagues are, are have pen to paper, which is coming out later this month, which tells us the opposite. So could you explain a bit about why we're hearing something on one hand, but the numbers are showing something entirely different. Yes, it's all an effect of uh, how many people are going to the ocean. Um, so if you have more people going to the ocean, you obviously have more chances to interact with uh, even the same amount of sharks that you had in the past. So we, we used shark attacks data um, in California regarding white shark attacks uh, from 1950 to 2013. And we have seen that this, despite there is, a, there is a suggestion that the, the attacks are increasing, we found a pretty uh, steep decline of, on the attack rate. So the number of attacks that you, you should expect for, for an equal amount of people, so per unit number, number of people. So now your chances are much lower than they were in 1950s. And just because California has increased in human population, especially in the coastal area, by three times, so there were 7 million coastal inhabitants in 1950, and there are 21 million coastal inhabitants in, uh, in 2013. But during the same time, ocean engagement, so the, the ocean use for recreational purposes, has increased by hundredfolds. So in the, in the 50, you had uh, 5,000, 7,000 divers, uh, sorry, 7,000 surfers in the 50, and now you have more than 800,000 surfers. Or you had uh, a few thousand scuba divers in the 60s, and now you have more than 400,000 divers, scuba divers in, uh, in 2013. So this, uh, a greater amount of people in the water um, increase the number of interactions, the, the chances to interact uh, with sharks. 
Well, absolutely. And it, it, it when you hear the numbers laid out in that raw f- uh, format, it is impressive how many more people are really getting in the water. And when we look uh, with similar interest at land-based conflicts, I really think that's a number we need to be looking at. So where I guess my next question is based on the concept of an attack, and I don't know about this because my shark experience is based on Jaws mm-hmm. and whatever Discovery Channel chooses to show mm-hmm. me this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we look at attacks uh, uh, from mammals, we have various ways of rating them. Um, scientific manner. So is it a defensive attack? Is it an offensive attack? Is it feeding? Is it protective? And then the scale of how severe. Uh, now, I do understand that great white sharks and many other species of shark, um, what we may consider to be a ferocious attack really may not be what it appears at first. So is there a rating system or some kind of way no, of identifying? Uh, yeah, well... Uh, one of the one of the nice message of this paper is that um, doing this kind of analysis can give us uh, landscape of uh, landscapes of uh, probability of attacks. So we know uh, where the probability of attack is higher. Like for example, it's much higher to have a probability of a shark bite in Northern California respect Southern California. Just because in Northern California there are big white sharks, and in Southern California instead there are juveniles and pups. So interaction with people in Northern California are injurious and interaction in, of sharks in Southern California are most of the time just a scare or just a, uh, I, I've heard of, of a juvenile pup white sharks jumping literally on the surfboard of people. But those kind of interactions do not result in tragedy. Whereas when you deal with the, when you deal with the big animals like a four or five meter white sharks, any bite can be can be tragic. So and then um, we also know that there are some particular time of the years where the chances to have an, um, a shark attack is higher. Just because, for example, it's higher to have uh, chances are increasing between October and November and are much lower in uh, in March and in April, in springs. This is because white sharks have a predictable seasonal distribution in California and offshore. They, they are in California in the fall and at the beginning of the winter, and then the, a portion of this population migrates offshore and, and congregate in offshore aggregation areas. So for, for half of the year, we don't have uh, as many sharks as we have uh, during the fall uh, or the end of the summer. So it really becomes a numbers game. It is. It is actually. It is a probability game because, like, uh, as I said, right now it's uh, it's truly what we have found in this paper that you truly have uh, more chances to win the lottery than be being bitten by a shark. Like for a regular ocean goers, you have one over more than seven hundred million chances to be bitten. But it doesn't mean that doesn't uh, that these do not occur. So people need to be careful. And even one attack can be can be de- uh, dangerous. So need, people need to take the due precaution when they they, they approach uh, when they approach the ocean. And this kind of analysis, this kind of results, can give people guidelines. That can that can can give people uh, tools to make uh, to make informed decisions. Obviously. This lottery, if more and more people play this lottery, so more people are going to the ocean, there would be more chances that we have winners so or losers. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, that, that is the case why in some area you see that uh, 
and why over uh, globally you see an increase of shark attacks. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Beaver dams help clean water, promote songbird diversity, encourage fish populations, and create better soil and a cleaner environment. Beavers are good for Canada, but will we be good to them? Find out more at furbearerdefenders.com and give a damn about beavers. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from marine ecologist Dr. Francesco Ferretti of Stanford to talk rate white sharks, statistics, and public policy. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, something I'd like to bring up is I I recall seeing debates on television not long ago, uh, and I'm sure you, uh, I'm a former journalist, so I get angry when people bring up what they saw on TV, and as a scientist, I'm sure it irritates you just as much, but that's my job, so we all have to learn how to live with that, but um uh, so I saw on television a debate that the reason we're seeing more shark attacks is because in recent years we've started protecting them, particularly when we look, as you said, along the northern parts of the coasts of North America. So that's Nas- uh, Massachusetts and Northern California. Um, and that because we're protecting animals like seals, which they feed on, and because we're protecting the sharks, we're only making it more likely that we're going to get attacked. So it's, it's clear that the number of people going in the water is affecting this, but is it possible that these other elements are also affecting the, uh, the, the, the number of attacks? Yes. So it's when you, when you think of an attack, as we said before, it's a game, it's, it's a probability game. So you, to have a certain number of attack, you need to have people in the water and you need to have a shark in the water. And so when they overlap, so in the, in all the factors that affect shark abundance and distribution and people abundance and distribution can play in the realization of this number number of attacks. So there may be many, many factors contributing to increases or decreases uh, of shark attacks. It is always useful to analyze long-term series to, and, and to put that, that in the perspective of other information we have on uh, predators and a human to understand whether there is actually an increase in the risk or there is a, a, a decrease in the risk. So here actually with our study, we have demonstrated that these protection 
effort as as in fact increase the safety of people indirectly one of the one of the ma main hypotheses we have for this decline of shark attacks is that now pinnipeds population or seal population have recovered and they are skyrocketing in their population uh, dynamics uh, that now sharks have plenty of food and they know where the food are like uh, in in the last centuries uh, elephant seals, northern elephant seals, for example, were thought to be extinct. And then, in the at the end of the fifth, in the at the beginning of the century of the twentieth centuries, and in the fifties, started to recover uh, in the in California, establishing uh, elephant seal colonies in the Challen Islands, at the Farallones Island, uh, in Año Nuevo, and other places that are a little bit more secluded than where we go engaging in ocean activities. So now sharks are less wandering around in coastal California. Uh, and having some chance to make mistakes. Now they know where their food are, where their food is, and then they are concentrating around this area and making them less available to have uh, interaction with us. It's it's very interesting to me to hear that the the availability of the prey species actually decreases the probability of an attack because on the face of it, you'd really think the opposite would be true. Um, and, but that's because they are displacing. They are displacing the like the fact that most of these sea colonies they are in parks or they are in areas like, for example, you don't go ocean going or to the beach at the Farallones Islands because you need to take the ferry. You need to, it's, it's not an accessible place for surfers or for ocean goers. Same as for the Channel Islands, you don't have the same amount of people going there than in other uh, coastal uh, beaches. So. Sharks are where the food, uh, the food is. So if there are sea colonies, they're around there. And if you are going engaging in ocean activity close to the sea colonies, you notably increase your chances to be bitten. So for example, if you go surfing at Daño Nuevo State Parks where there is a big elephant sea colonies, you are taking your chances because white sharks are roaming around, are, are going around and they, and they are going around because these are their hunting ground. Um, so sometimes they make an error. So we dress like seals and then we go into the water. So no wonder the sharks sometimes can be confused. Yeah, I, I personally avoid dressing like a seal whenever I think a shark might be around. Um, yeah, here is unavoidable because the water is really cold. Yeah, well, I, so. I, I am not entirely comfortable in my parents' swimming pool in the middle of summer in uh, Ontario. So I yeah. think my chances are pretty good in terms of shark attacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But uh, now, something that I, I do, uh, I also wanted to address with you is uh, as soon as a shark attack happens, the TV crews go down to the beach and you get one jerk who says, we need to cull them. Um, yes. And while you've been talking about your study, you've been mentioning data sets going back 60 years and more. Yes. So is it important when we discuss science and public policy to try and match the two in terms of that, that timeline uh, retrospectively Whereas normally we sort of, we react with policy. Uh, so this exactly. just happened, so now we need a policy. Most of the time policy tend to react because they are pressured to react to those uh, eclatant uh, cases, right? You are, you're an administrator, you are a politician, you want to make sure that people understand that you're doing your job to make them safe. And so you want to, you want to, um, you want to have uh, actions 
that are visible also to people. And so the people say they're, they're, they are actually uh, make them feel safer. But shark calls, going out and killing sharks are ecologically impactful. They don't work. They don't make any, any people any safer. And they usually, and they don't work because they usually catch the, uh, the wrong sharks. And so they usually catch uh, uh, a lot of other species that are already in danger. So that's, they are causing a big, uh, um, they, are, they are impacting their population with, uh, with irreversible consequence. And at the same time, they are very expensive. Um, they, so they are a waste of money. It, you think that in Western, in Western Australia, there has been debates uh, about uh, shark calls, and there is a budget of 22 millions to going out and killing sharks, and they haven't caught any single white shark. Um, but the $22 million, imagine if you can use that $22 million to analyze the data and to actually make this kind of analysis there are nearly at no cost to respect these other, uh, these other actions. So we can come out with this landscape of probability and these, uh, these, um, with the good suggestion to give people uh, that, uh, that can decrease notably their chance to get bitten. Like uh, these kind of analysis help, uh, help us also understand the ecology of, the, of, uh, of these predators and other analysis understand, uh, are useful to understand the ecology uh, and the behavior of, uh, of these predators. The more we know about these predators, the more we can give guidelines to people and so they can make the informed decision. Excellent. And uh, I, I, as we've been discussing this and calling it kind of like a lottery and uh, I, I'm choosing not to play the game, I'm just going to withdraw from it entirely. But for those who do want to play but don't want to end up winners, uh, what are some of the basics, uh, sort of regardless of where you're at? Uh, what are some of the things people should know if they're going in the water and there are sharks about? Well, first of all, if you know there are sharks about, just avoid going going waters where when you know there are sharks. If you know that you're going in the water close to potential prey aggregations like seals, do not go uh, engaging in swimming or, or, or surfing or diving close to this area because there is more chance that there are, there are these predators. Do not go alone. Uh, go with people because sometimes uh, uh, there are many. Um, it can help you uh, respond to any possible attack, and it can help. Uh, and you have more chances to be uh, to be rescued, and um, so increase your chances to come out uh, um, without any tragic uh, uh, outcome from uh, from the attacks. There are many uh, many useful guidelines that can be found at the International Shark Attack File uh, for the United States. There there is there are similar uh, shark attacks file. Um, in uh, in Australia, in South Africa, and uh, and in other parts of the world, and parks uh, give guidelines. So uh, all these guidelines come from our understanding of predator uh, of these predators in terms of their ecology and uh, and uh, and their behavior, and they can be useful for people to respond to these cases. To learn more about Dr. Ferretti's work, check out our links to his page at the Stanford website. That's all the time we have for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Dr. Ferretti for joining us, as well as Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. 
That's it. Goodbye. I'm not going to waste my time arguing with a man who's lining up to be a hot lunch.